Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Union Podcast. My name is Brian Pugh, and I'm the co-founder of the Union alongside my wife, Bonnie, and we are so glad that you've joined us here. If this is the first time you've ever checked out the Union Podcast, it is all about just bringing biblical clarity to the topic of sexuality and relationships, marriage, identity, family, all these different avenues of the human experience, and uh, really to unpack God's design, the beauty of God's design for all these areas that is meant to lead to the human human flourishing and joy and peace and and uh, yeah so we we hope today that this episode is encouraging to you and it's helpful it meets you right where you are and gives you principles and tools um, for that human flourishing in your life and if you are a return listener we would love it if you would comment subscribe and share uh, this podcast is just helps us to be in front of more people and to get the beauty of God's design in front of more and more people and hopefully lead to freedom and transformation, redemption in the lives of other people. Uh, today, I am super excited as I sat down recently with John Tyson and we discussed his new book, The Intentional Father, A Practical Guide to Raise Sons of Courage and Character. And Um, As a dad, you know, I've got six boys. Um, Fatherhood is real and it is it is a pressure cooker at times that is really good as it burns away a lot of things. It burns away a lot of selfishness and and childishness that is, I guess, bound up in in the heart. Um, But it is it can really be confusing at times. And I think a lot of times within society and within church culture, more specifically, we have a lot of ideas and a lot of principles, yet we don't see the application and we don't see just really the where the rubber meets the road on how we can practically help our kids and more specifically in this conversation, how we can help our sons to be sons of consequence, courage, character. And uh, John just shares from an amazing uh, perspective. He's got such a uh, a great wise perspective on how to raise sons. And he just shares some of his own story, some of his own upbringing and how this process that, that God's designed for us um, can really lead to freedom and transformation and help us to be strong men that raise up strong disciples of Jesus. So uh, I'm so excited for you to, to hear this conversation. So without further ado, I'm going to pass it off to John Tyson. All right, so I'm here with John Tyson, and we are discussing his new book, The Intentional Father, A Practical Guide to Raise Sons of Courage and Character. John, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, man. It's so good to be on. Thanks for taking this on. Oh, I'm happy to. It's, a, it's an honor. So you, we were just talking before, you're currently in Orlando right now, but you um, are a church planner and pastor, speaker, author um, that calls New York City home. But as most people can probably tell from your accent, you are not originally from New York. So tell us a little bit about how you ended up in New York. Yes, I am. Uh, orig- I was born and raised in Australia. I was born in Melbourne, which I don't know has any level COVID lockdowns that would make even a Canadian <laughs> blush right now. Yeah, right. I think it had some of the strictest COVID lockdowns in the world. Yeah. Um, then I lived in uh, Perth, Western Australia, and then uh, I, I spent my formative years in Adelaide, ages 10 to 20. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I, I dropped out of high school when I was 16 uh, to do an apprenticeship as a butcher. Became a Christian the weekend I turned 17 in a Pentecostal um, AG revival. And wow. then when I was 20, after I finished my apprenticeship, I got a scholarship to study theology in America. Amazing. And uh, that, yes, I came over and then met my wife in the first, actually before school even started, when I was just getting a campus orientation tour. 
Wow. And I saw this girl and I remember thinking, gosh, studying the Bible and focusing will be harder than I anticipated. In yeah, <laughs> no kidding. And we, we've been married 23 years. Um, oh, amazing. So two years of total health, two not bad years, and then, yeah, like 19 really good years. Oh, dude, that's awesome. 20 years, 23 years That's a pretty good record, dude. You know, yeah, nobody, can, nobody can argue with those numbers, man. That's pretty good. That's awesome. So you and uh, man, I'm getting my correct me if I'm wrong, but you have two two kids as well, right? I, I do. Yes, we, I, I forgot to mention. Yes, we we moved to New York City in 2005. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm in Orlando where I lived before we um, planted our church in New York. Right. Um, we we moved there in 2005. There was not a lot of church planting. I'm I'm 44, so I'm your mm. typical um, you know pretty young Gen X guy. Who didn't want to do the suburban mega church right. campus pastor thing, which is what was really offered to me at that point. Sure, sure. I felt the future was urban. Um, realized I had basically an entrepreneurial skill set, and then mm-hmm. by planning, you could get rewarded rather than penalized for starting new things. Right, right. And yeah, um, yeah so I moved up to New York. I wanted to be in a city that mattered. Moved up there uh, in 2005. Been there 16 years. Wow, Lo- love it. Happy than I've ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, we're here for the long game. Yeah. These are all my famous, famous last words, but yeah, exactly. Honestly, <laughs> love it. Plant that you know, have no plans to go anywhere else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've raised my kids there. I have two kids. I have a son who's 21, and mm. I have a daughter who's 18. So we just became empty nesters. Wow, which, bro. Which we're, which we're honestly really enjoying. It's, yeah. so it's true. <laughs> it was traumatic letting the kids go. I mean, gosh, I, I'm working on a book right now. Um, on the version of discipleship I did with my daughter, which right, is right. the next thing I do. And I've just started the intro of that. And the intro starts with my daughter hugging me as she gets ready to go to college saying, dad, we need more time. We need more time. Oh and I'm still gosh. like feeling all the feels. I was working on that this morning. I was like, Oh gosh. Oh but man, it's real. I love them. They're wonderful. And yeah, um, yeah, it's been a good season for us. Well, that's awesome. Um, we were just talking before, before we got started here and how, your course that you had done called the primal path um was just so impactful to me because like some of our listeners would know like my wife bonnie and i we've got six boys and you know fatherhood is is just like it's a real deal you know in Mm -hmm. in my world and and it's something that i i take very seriously and you know i want to do well and i felt like you know coming across this course that you developed which you were saying that you know a large portion of that course is actually in this book you know, um, was just really like a roadmap for me because I felt like fatherhood, you know, is a lot of, um, theory, you know what I mean? And a lot of like hype, hype, you know, kind of like comments and and sayings like, Hey, we need to, we need to show the love of the father. And it's like, yeah, you're right. And, you know, we go to these conferences and, and then we're kind of left, like, what do we do? But I felt like, you know, and I think the intentional father does this too, but it's just been such a roadmap on some practical things of how to raise, young men um you know in such a way that it just makes a difference you know oh i'm, I'm so encouraged to hear that uh, i felt what you're feeling mm-hmm. which was um i felt two things number one i felt massive resolve mm. like i'm I, i'm going to break generational cycles i am yeah. going to give these kids more than i had and i was completely overwhelmed and at the same time, to the degree that I have vision, I also have no idea how to do this. Right. And that put me on a on a bit of a, yeah, like a, a reading quest 
which I felt like my son's life was at stake. You know, mm -hmm. if I just gave him what I had, I would have just imparted brokenness. Right. So right. it put me on a, a huge reading quest and I found exactly what you found. All of the books in men's ministry were written by, written by, for the most part, wounded men whose dads didn't get it right. Yeah. Which you, which you resonate with, you know, like, thank you for oh, understanding for sure. me. But I was like, where's, where's the, where are all the books on like, here's how to get it right. And yeah. honestly, there's a couple of, couple of like, you know, classic books in that space, but none of them were practical enough. There wasn't like a, mm -hmm. here's the guide. And so I felt like, gosh, because I loved my son, I felt like I, I had to come up with the guide based on what I'd read. And then I think I was doing it with him and I had so many folks say, hey, man, whatever you're doing, can you can you please share that with me? Mm -hmm. And, um, I, you know, I, I, when I started, I just basically loved my son and wanted to get it right. And then over yeah. the course of the years, pretty quickly, it became obvious there was a massive need for this. And Put into a course, which was, um, you know, sort of all I could do, and then um, and eventually turn it into a book. Yeah, so. that's awesome, man. We're so glad you did, and um, we're going to definitely leave a, a link in our show notes so people can get their copy. And you're just telling me too that the audio version drops. Well, this is September 27th, and we're recording this, but it drops uh, tomorrow. So yeah, have the audio book. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, you know, I try and sort of inject a little bit of personality. And I, t and I told dads, if you can't even be bothered reading my book, let me read it to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me read it. If you got too much going on, let me read it to you. I'll, I'll go a chapter a day. Yeah, yeah totally. So well, I put my heart into it and hopefully it pays off, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I would say the the Australian accent is really easy to listen to, too. It sounds like you feel like <laughs> super cultured, you know what I mean, as you listen. <laughs> well, it would have been weird if somebody else read that book. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. my last book, Beautiful Resistance, it was the middle of COVID and um, all the sound studios were closed. So they yeah. let me home record in a total ghetto setup the introduction wow. and the epilogue. But then they they had a professional do it who had a home studio. So I was glad oh, to be crazy. able to do this one. Yeah. yeah, for real. For real. Well, I'd love just to jump into it. Now, why does yeah. the message of Intentional Father mean so much to you? Obviously, you spoke a little bit about your upbringing and and I think there is something, you know, within, within dads, like we want to give something to our kids that maybe we didn't have, but what's the burning passion in your heart for, uh, for the message of intentional father? Well, I mean, it's probably three things. It's, it's personal, it's pastoral and it's generational, you know, mm -hmm. like it starts really small and it gets really big on a personal level. I mean, I just loved my son, you know, yeah. I mean, I just, it's hard to put into words. I, I remember how confusing my teenage years were how you're dealing you know your body's changing you've got this erotic energy you've got testosterone you're trying to test yourself with your peers you, yeah it's just, just all of these things are pushing you out of yourself and you, what you want is people to say that's normal let me tell you what to do with that let me tell you how to channel that where to put that and i didn't really have that um my dad's a, a wonderful Mm -hmm. wonderful godly man that i honor and i'm very grateful for but i was a pretty hard kid to understand and he right. grew up in a, a boarding home in india he certainly didn't have what he needed given to me so he didn't have it to pass on right so right. when it came to my son i was like I, I remember it being so confusing and if i could sum up my teenage years in one word it would be this i was misunderstood mm. it just felt like no one really got what i was going through so it was it was very disorienting, and I just remember 
when my son was born going, I'm going to give it everything I've got to, to understand my son, to make him feel understood, to guide him through these, you know, very, very confusing years. So yeah, it was, it was birthed out of love. Like when I started it, I didn't have any, I didn't have plans to really turn it into anything. Right. I just had plans to help my son. Yeah. You know, wow. like I was like, I love you, bro. You need this. Let me, let me walk you through this. So that was where it began. Um, the second thing is pastorally. I mean, I, I pastor a church uh, in Manhattan, mm-hmm. been there for 16 years. And gosh, the vast majority is, is probably 70, 80% of people in their 20s. Wow. And I just noticed like, I've only met a handful, I don't say this as an exaggeration, a handful of men who say, my dad got it right. Yeah. Just the, like the, the wounds. I mean, I don't know if you see this, uh, the, the headlines in the United States right now, there's a whole one on um, uh, the American approach versus the uh, US approach to masculinity. Mm. And um, there's research that's come out about how men are just failing out of college and what the cultural consequences uh, it seems like um, it, everybody, including secular sociologists, realize we have a problem informing men that are going to work in our society today. Other societies did not have this problem. Mm-hmm. What are we failing to do that is creating this? Yeah. And so I, I experienced this pastorally. So it wasn't just anecdotal in the sense of, of my son. It was like way thousands of men over the years. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, and then generationally, I think we, we just see this everywhere. There's such a need. I was so honestly saddened to have to write this book. Mm. I was excited to do it. I felt like, you know, I think this is really going to help a lot of folks. And the feedback sure. so far has been like very, very encouraging. Mm-hmm. It's, I want to be helpful. But I was like, why is this Why is this not normal? Like, why wasn't there seven versions of this book fully available to me? And I just had to pick the best one and take my son through it. Yeah. Like I was just, I was like, we've been following Jesus for 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. How is this not a normal process? But right. For whatever reason it is, it's not. It's a huge cultural black hole when it comes to raising uh, totally. godly functional men. So I felt like yeah. I had to jump in. Yeah. And that's so good. Well, I guess that kind of leads to my next question is because like, how do we, you know, where, where do we get to this crisis, you know, um, you know, raising young men in our culture today? Because um, I, I was thinking about it you know, like you look back in, in TV and in media and stuff like that. I don't know exactly when the switch was, but it's like in TV shows, like the dad was always this revered kind of character. Mm. And, and then at Mm. some point it just shifted, like the dad's a buffoon or he's, he's the butt end of every single joke or whatever. And it was like this slowly, and it, and it happened, I think towards men too, not just, not just dads, but men in general. But I think there's such a direct correlation to, and that, that could be art you know, imitating reality. I don't, I don't know, but I think there's a huge connection to, to that shift um, and to men's effectiveness and dad's effectiveness, effectiveness in the lives of, of raising up young people who are set up for success. But like, what do you see as the, as some key attributes of the, of this crisis? Well, I think that, that there's several things. Number one, there's, there's things our culture's done, but then there's things we have failed to do that every other culture's done and we haven't. So right, right. Um, it's an amazing book. I mean, let me give you two, uh, or let me give you one book recommendation. Amazing book uh, called The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. Mm. Talker, I mean, what a book. I just finished it and I, I loved it. Amazing. Absolutely filled with research on what is happening to men and how culture is making them comfortable. Mm. And how it is destroying manhood. 
And this guy is not a believer at right. all, but he's, he's just got chapter after chapter on generational research. Hmm. He's got a whole section on failing to form men. One of the one, so like I, I highly recommended that for like a deep dive. In, in general, uh, there's a Jungian psychologist um, named James Hollis, and he is one of the. So if you've ever read like Richard Rohr or Ronald Rollheiser, sort of like that, the midlife male energy sort of literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've definitely soured on Rohr in his later writings, but I think sure. his earlier stuff was was very very strong. Um, he's one of the guys that like you read him and you're like, oh, this is where they got it from. He he basically says this, right. all societies had a six-step process for forming men. And here's mm. what it was. It's like step one was removal uh, from a general environment that predominantly included women. So it was like a removal of naivete in the childhood environment. Number two, it was like a conscious severing of childhood and entrance into a liminal space. And it was like you knew that you were being initiated into a new journey. Number three, you were given basically what you needed to know in terms of formation around three areas. Number one, the religion of your community. Number two, the history of your people. And number three, mastering the roles necessary to contribute and function as a member of your society to continue the story. After that process went on, um, you were then put through what was called the ordeal. And the ordeal was where you were sent out into the wilderness and you had to test yourself to see whether the things you learned worked out in reality. Mm. Uh, in, in Australia, um, young Aboriginal men were sent into the outback for as long as six months. Wow. As long as six months on their own to survive. That's wild. Uh, the, the Maasai tribe young men had to kill a lion. Mm. And uh, as Michael Easter says, not he does an interview on, on, on the Maasai, uh, Maasai people in their formation, not sneak up and kill a dead one, but attack one. And, um, and, and, you know, this is the Native American vision quest. It's this profound sense where a young man gains confidence knowing I have what it takes to be a man in my community. Mm. After he's completed the ordeal, he's recognized by the community of men, like he's yeah. honored and celebrated because he's now one of them. And then he is integrated back into larger society to contribute and carry on leadership. And so that that was a six-step process that is almost universally recognized across societies until late modern society, which is our society. Hmm. Now we do the opposite. There is no separation. There's an extension yeah. of adolescence. Absolutely. There's no impartation of religion or family or culture. There's no skills that are given to you for the common good. They're only if they're given to you, they're for selfish gain. Right. Um, there's no community of men giving you the blessing that you wake for. At best, you get a fraternity, a, a brothers who will party with you, but they won't be able to bless you. Yeah. And then you go on a society to take what you can from it. You view everything as a commodity for self, including women. Mm-hmm. And it's no wonder that our young men are not prepared to contribute and we have a thing called toxic masculinity. Absolutely. So yeah. he, he says in the book, um, helicopter parenting is what, mm-hmm. you know, where men, where children were stopped being consciously formed and the parents took over and created an extended adolescence. He said, research has showed from New York University that began around 1990. Wow. And that within one generation, rates of anxiety and depression grew by over 80% in one totally. generation because people were no longer given the capacity to go through this journey of initiation, rites yeah. of passage. Yeah. And I think it's been, it's been cranking on since 1990 mm-hmm. in an unprecedented way, which sounds kind of recently, but it's enough to – basically 
go Gen X, uh, you know, Gen X millennials, now Gen Z. Now, I think the letters I heard, they're calling it Alpha Gen, which is like the kids that are being born now. Sure. All of those, all of those people um, were raised without these particular formations. Wow, man, that's just that's shocking. That's shocking to think that just in a pretty much a relatively small period of time to see some of the fruit that we've we've experienced within. You know, I even think you know some of my own story growing up and um, not being raised in, in a Christian home, but like you know the the absence and the deficit that was that was created in my life because of just even these basic cultural things that were not not implemented you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and i guess that's maybe a, a good question for you is like how how do you as a dad because i'm sure there's guys listening who would probably relate to not feeling equipped how do how do you as a dad first of all overcome your own hurts from from maybe that deficit in your life and and what are what does that process look like to be able to get to a place where you feel like you could have something to contribute? Well, in both um, the Primal Path course and and uh, the book, about twenty five percent of it is just like dads dealing with their own drama. Yeah, like the whole the whole principle that comes from Roll High is that whatever pain is not transformed is transmitted, mm. which means if you don't deal with your drama, you're going to impart it into your kid. And you're particularly going to do it in two ways. Number one, you're going to do it when you're stressed because it's all you know. You can think that you're going to do something different, but how you're formed is how you act under pressure. Mm. And then secondly, even if you say, um, no, I'm not going to be like that, you're still measuring yourself against your brokenness rather than asking the question, what does my kid need? So it's still a reactively, reactive, not a proactive way. So, yeah, I I told Dad, you've got to, yeah, this is the, the gift of a child is not just the child itself. It's what a child does in making a dad confront his own brokenness mm-hmm. and level up their own manhood and ask very honest questions about their need for further formation into the image of Jesus. It's, it's yeah. a real gift. Yeah. I, I honestly think, um, you know, I got married at 22, had my son at 23, you know, like in, mm-hmm. in today's world, that's impossibly early. Yeah, you know the typical age I think is 29 for men in the United States, and um, I'm very, I mean, gosh, I want to be careful how I say this, but I'm like, in many ways, I am who I am today. Whoever I am today, good or bad, a lot of the good of it comes from the fact that I took on massive amounts of responsibility in my 20s. Yeah, that just basically took selfishness out of my life because I didn't really have a chance to be as selfish as I wanted. I just had, totally. I had children in a marriage. And I think, gosh, I don't judge people um, in their 20s who, you know, who are just like struggling to get through their 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly would, if I didn't get married, I would have had a decade of experimentation and wandering. Yeah, And instead I had a decade of like straight up massive amounts of stress and responsibility. And it's matured Absolutely. me as a person. Yeah. It's produced many things in me. So I'm grateful for that. So, yeah, I, I would simply say you've got to come to terms with your with your own story. You've got to be aware of it. You have to accept it. That's what kids will do for you. Uh, several things I talk about. One, you've got to make peace with your own father. Mm. His, you've got to make peace with his absence or his presence. Both of them create different wounds. Yeah. Um, you've got to, you've got to bless back so that you don't bring brokenness forward. You've got to, you know, you've got to like draw a line in the sand of honor and then leave it there. And then you've got to, if if you've got good things to bring from your family history, you've got to identify those and then pass yeah. them on. And if, you, if you've got bad things, you've got to, you've got to name them. You've got to get healing from them. 
Yeah. You've got to live in there. So I've got a whole thing on understanding your family dynamics, your family history, understanding your own story. You know, one of the things I find is the hardest things we go through are not always the most painful things we go through. Mm. And we and there's there's deeper things that happen in our soul, deep, deep wounds. And yeah. so I think we have to go through our story and sort of audit it. One of the things I did, I went year by year through my life over the period of several months. And I just tried to do like an emotional map of my pain. Like mm. what are the things that hurt me? Wow. Not, not what you would think would hurt me. I've been through some nasty stuff that you'd be like, bro, that's crushing. Yeah. But it's like, no, it's actually was fine. I've been through some things that seem very small, but deeply, deeply wounded me. Mm-hmm. So you've got to understand where you were wounded, understand your own heart so you can get healing from it. Um, and then, yeah, you've got to, you've got to find a way to be able to codify that and pass those blessings on. So I think I've got three distinct exercises in that book Yeah, that dads can really sit with and take the time. And if you rush through it, you'll get nothing. Yeah. Surface level awareness. But if you take the time and you do a deep dive, you'll have profound wisdom for your own story. Yeah. So the big idea, 25% of it is like deal with your own drama before you try and parent a kid and oh, um, take the time to do it. It's not selfish. Take mm-hmm. the time to do it. Sit with your own heart. Get a deep understanding. And um, I think you'll bring a lot of wisdom out of that place. Yeah, I can just speak again just from my own experience with the primal path, like taking that, doing that audit and doing that. Um, I, I forget how you, you referred to it, but the emotional map or like the woundedness map. Yeah. And the the highs, the lows, like just those key yeah. those key moments in your life, and it is it is really it is really gut wrenching because you got to face mm. you really do have to face some things that, like you say, that maybe from some people would hear and be like, oh, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, and then you know there's things that aren't on there that you think that would be you know a deal breaker for some people, but it's some of those little things that you remember, those words that you've yeah. heard. The totally. even the the sense that you've gotten from maybe from your dad, whether it was intended or not, that just um you know just left a wound, right? And you do you do have to be brave and and really face those things. I can say that uh, firsthand, man. Mm. Um, in, in your book, you discuss that there's five types of fathers. Can you unpack those for us? Like, what are those five types of dads, and um, and how do they how do they show up? Or maybe I don't know if there's multiple that you are at certain times, but um, could you unpack that for us? Yeah. I mean, this was like, so there's like, that just came out of my head in essence. It was like a pastoral observation. I was like, I just observed all these dads. I was trying to figure out, you know, particularly when you're a young father, like who do I want to be? And like, Mm -hmm. who's, who's, who's getting it right. And what are those characteristics and who was screwing it up and how do I avoid being that? So my, my basically, and I'm, and I'm a pastor, mate. So, Everything is alliterated for the sake of my own sure. memory. It's not for yeah. others. So, um, yeah, so I talk about five kinds of fathers. They all start with an I. Um, and the first one is the irresponsible father. And this, mm-hmm. this is basically a sperm donor. This is a dad that creates life but doesn't comprehend sure. the severity of what he's done. Just, just bails, walks away. Um, and, and, you know, I've, I've got many, many friends who the deepest wound of their life is that there is a giant black hole in their story where their father should be. Mm-hmm. And other other folks who are like, I don't even feel any pain. I just know I'm wounded because the stuff that's meant to be there, that's not there. Right. So they're not even mad at the dad they don't know. They just don't even, they're slowly realizing the stuff they don't have, which I call wounded by withholding, which means the stuff you should have. You know, James Hollis, again, that union psychologist said, all of our wounds fall into two categories. They're wounds where we haven't been nurtured properly. 
or then mm. wounds, wounds where we haven't been protected properly, which right. means we haven't been loved like we should or we haven't been protected. We've been exposed to things that harm us in, in unhelpful ways. Irresponsible parents do both of those things <clears throat> to their children. The second kind is the ignorant dad. And this is a dad that just like just doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Holding a baby is like hiding, holding a vase from the Ming dynasty. Like I know it's valuable, but I don't get it. Right. And, you know, and so they don't understand, they don't understand or choose to understand, you know, ontology developmental stages. Um, you know, they don't get in touch with what it was like to be young themselves. They only prescribe um, from their own experience. They just, they, they haven't done the work. So there's irresponsible, then there's ignorant. Then there's inconsistent dads. And these are dads who come in and out. They're torn. Mm. They have divided hearts. They want to be a good dad, but then they also want every other thing. And they often choose the other thing. And, you know, there's a lot of damage done in kids' lives. Uh, kids thrive in consistency. They need to know right, right. Here's, here's the boundaries, here's the relationships, here's the, how they function. And they kids can go through almost anything with, if they have like a sense of stability and consistency. And we think kids are resilient, like they can get through anything. Well, they can because they have to, but there's a difference between surviving it and prospering. Right, and kids right. can survive a lot because they don't have any other choice, but they can come out with a lot of wounds. Inconsistent dads tend to do that. Then you've got involved dads, and this is your typical good dad. This is your this is your take you to the game, you know, give you the sex talk. Right. Good dad. This is a dad that's like really having a go. But and if you've had a good dad, and then you're tremendously blessed. Like statistically, mm -hmm. the amount of people that have a good dad is very, very low. Right. But my dad was a good dad. But the challenge. Which, which I think came out of sort of my own wounding and revelation, is good dads, the, the one thing, I don't want to say they get wrong, but the one thing they fail to take into account is they don't ask the question, how do I win my son's heart? Yeah. So they, they're committed to being responsible. I will be here. I will provide. I yeah. will discipline. They're not ignorant. They realize the stakes are high. Hey, I've got to do this. Big moments here. I've got to draw they're consistent, they're around, they're showing up. But what they are not is intentional. Mm -hmm. And so my, I would say good dads prescribe general truth. You know, so it's like, hey, here's what the Bible says and here's what the book of Proverbs says about being a wise man or here's what a fool is according to the Bible. It's generally good. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, it doesn't ask the question, who is, the, who is my, how do I get my son's heart? Like who is this kid in particular? Yeah. And like I said, <clears throat> I I was a bit of a walking contradiction as a kid. And people who really know me well understand this about me. And I guess people listening to the podcast will now know this about me too. <laughs> but I am I am a um a lot of people would 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 say John is an alpha leader. And I, I don't mean in the sort of like cultural sense. I mean I've always been in senior leadership. Right. I, I do I don't want to work for other people. I, I would be very happily self-employed tomorrow. If I wasn't a pastor, I'd start my own business. Sure, sure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm upfront. I'm, I have a strong personality. I walk into a room. I change the dynamic of the room, all those sorts of things. So you yeah. would sense, well, John must wrestle with pride. Mm. And the, the truth is, like, oh, he, he wants to be dominant. He has to be up the front. He's got to, you know, and, the, and that's what my personality does. Mm -hmm. That's what my giftings do. Right. But if you were to ask, like, you know, is that what you're like? The answer would be like, no. 
Mm. I could disappear into a life of obscurity selling motorbikes in a small mountain town tomorrow. It would scare people how little I need public influence. Wow. So, the, so I am what you call a reluctant leader, which means my, <clears throat> my prominent struggle is not with pride, it's with insecurity. Right. So right. I'm the guy you have to push to the stage and say you should say something rather than the guy you have to steal the mic from because I want to be the center of attention. So how this played out in my childhood, um, as a kid, I was very um, very gifted at whatever I did. I remember being at the top of my class in academics, um, you know, best and fairest on my sporting teams. Um, you know, like a, in, in some ways, like a little bit of a prodigious gifted kid. And I remember my dad would say to me all the time, don't be arrogant, don't be arrogant, don't get a big head, don't boast. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I wasn't thinking, I'm amazing. Look at me. I looked at it like, isn't this weird? I don't really care that much about these things. Certainly not the way that my dad thinks. Oh, I, I just like was almost like a neutral observer with a bit of a sense of wonder. Mm. My whole life I heard, don't be arrogant. And so what it actually did was rob me of confidence. Wow. Wow. And so if you if if my, if I think my dad had really understood my heart what he would have said was like don't back down keep going step yeah. up rise up right he would he wouldn't have worried about the behavior he would have examined the heart mm-hmm. and I think that's the main thing it's like you know good dads often are like making sure their kids uh, like behave the right way understand the family story group dynamics yeah. they're not going like what what does this kid need in his heart and so intentional totally. dads go the extra step of asking who is the son I've been given? What does he need in order to be the person God's called him to be? And then how do I consciously design something to help yeah. him achieve that in his adult life? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's so true because, um, you know, like our oldest boys are twins and they're identical. And so they share the oh, same. Oh, wow. They, sh- they share the same DNA, but bro, they yeah. are completely different. And it's like how I approach like Samuel, he is our kind of our type a leader it's like he's really surprised that not everybody wants to follow him he's just like why wouldn't you want to follow me you know what i mean and uh and micah is just is just different he's not your natural like hey i'm going to take charge he's more more of peace orientated and kind of just functions that way and if i try to parent them or father them the same way it's like i'll crush micah and crush his heart yet Samuel like would come alive in the challenge and then the correction. But like, if, if I'm just, if I'm just staying in that lane or just kind of being like, all right, well, this is what's right. And, and not really letting the wall down of vulnerability and, and opening up my heart and pursuing his heart, I would never know that, you know what I mean? And, and I would be stuck in this. It's not necessarily bad, but it'd be this pattern of just, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. Do what's right. Life will go good with you. And can we just move on to something else now? Yeah. And I think maybe, I mean, I, I'm like pretty sure that you're a great dad. Otherwise, you, Thanks, you wouldn't be talking about this or thinking of this. And I think part of the challenge can be if our kids know that we love them yeah, and we're good dads, they sometimes don't reveal their hearts to us. Mm-hmm. They, can't, they kind of think, you know, okay, this is enough. This mm. is, you know, like I've got a good dad. Look at my friend's dads. My, my friend's dad's like my dad's great. Right. And so they can often, you know, you can sometimes have to work harder to get into there. And to me, that's the key. It's like you're saying, you're looking at your sons and you're like, I got to get the key to this one's heart. You're going to get the yeah. key to this one's heart. I got to understand the motivations, their fears, their desires. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the difference between intentional and involved. 
Yeah, that's so good. Um, I think one of the things I heard is that like kids spell trust T-I-M-E, right? So this is purposeful time that's spent. And I know, you know, something you've been really purposeful is going on hikes with your son and, and going and you did that. Didn't you guys do that hike through, is it through Spain? The real crazy. Yeah. Yes, mate. To close it out, we did um, the Camino de Santiago, which is right. like a religious walk people have done for a thousand years. It was yeah. 500 miles, which is, what is that? 11, 2.2. It's like, I don't know, 1200 kilometers oh, hike crazy. across Spain. Crazy. Yeah. Now, like, how did something like that trend? Like, cause I, I don't, I don't think that was just like a one-time thing. I'm sure there's other times of connection, but what did you find along that, that journey and the conversation, the dialogue, the, just the real life heart to heart connection? How did, how did that all play out? Well, b- before I tell you about the Camino, the, the principle that you're addressing is a really important one, mm-hmm. which is, you know, how in a very, very busy life, very busy schedule, do you like get time with your kids? Yeah. And again, it's like, no one's going to give you the time. And honestly, your kids will stop asking for it. Right. Particularly in the teenage years, they may not even want it. They yeah. may not even know how much they want it. Yeah. They will want it at a subconscious, not a conscious level. So true. So I, I was like, okay, how do people change? How are great relationships built? Well, they're built every day and they're built in medium-sized moments and they're built in meta once-in-a-lifetime moments. Mm. And so I was like, okay, I've got to have a plan for how to build all these kinds of moments with my son. So I did, a, I did five days a week. I did uh, when he was in school, we did the primal path, gave him the weekends off. Um, sure. That, which worked when he was older, when he would travel and he'd do stuff with his friends and he uh, got a job. But it was like every morning we would do like a devotional based on whatever the primal path theme or archetype was that we were working through. Right. And I told dads all the time, <clears throat> you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a content guy. It's easy for me to. You know, it's the equivalent of like someone in finance teaching their kids about finance. It's a lot easier if you work in finance. Yeah. So uh, here's what I think is possible. Like read a section of scripture, Mm -hmm. find one quote on the internet and ask one thought provoking question a day. Wow. And if you just do, if you just do that in the morning, like you say, Hey, we're going to study the life of David. Well, it might take you, you know, uh, one day at the start of the month, like reading the whole life of David and then just breaking it into however many sections you think you can get through. You can do it in 40 sections if you want, a little bit at a time. And then you and give a quote about the idea of honor and you ask one question. I'm telling you, like, I did a lot of parenting through question asking. Yeah. And um, I, 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 the best thing that I wanted to do, um, so this, you know, when you talk about thinking, there's first tier thinking, second tier thinking, third tier thinking third tier thinking mm-hmm. and teenagers never have second and third tier thinking so you know it's like the first 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 tier thinking is hey dad i want to get a car and you're like okay well i need to tell you that owning a car is important because when you drive you could kill somebody blah 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 second tier thinking is like hey man who's going to pay for the insurance who's going to do the maintenance third tier thinking is like how is it going to impact our family dynamic if you can leave whenever you want right and so like you're, you're thinking all the way through an issue I wanted to ask questions, questions that pushed into these different tiers of thinking. Yeah. I would often do moral dilemmas as the best way of teaching, you know. Interesting. And so Jesus would come up with things that would make people go, oh, gosh, is it like this, if John the Baptist's baptism was from man, but if it was from God, right. just, oh, I would try and come up with questions like that. 
so, a lot yeah. of it was about ethics teenagers faced. And so, yeah, one little question, like I asked one question once that led to a three-hour conversation with my son. Here's what the question was. You're at your friend's house and he's dating a girl and his parents don't want him to date the girl. He goes to the bathroom. His parents get you on, the, on your own and they say, hey, tell us the truth. Is he dating her or not? Do you tell your friend's parents? Whoa. Uh, and, and he was like, oh. Mind blown. Oh, oh. <laughs> Obviously, led to a discussion on like situational ethics, which included like in World War II, would you hide a Jewish family and lie to the Nazis? What is truth? When is lying appropriate? Right. Pe- do people lie in the Bible? Rahab lied and she's in the hall of. I mean, it just went so far. For sure. And the ultimate, uh, the ultimate answer to the question was I'm not comfortable asking this question. I don't feel comfortable in this dynamic. He's your son. You know, like I think yeah. you need to talk to him about it. That's the answer after three hours. Wow. But like that was one question that went so far. And so it took me a little bit of time to think through those things. But my point is that was the daily time. Little mm-hmm. section of scripture. Um, you can read it. You can get a, a book and just read a chapter of the book a day. There's tons of short uh, but Like we read all the John Maxwell um, 17 Habits of a Team Player, 15 Characteristics. of. We yeah. did those. My son loved those. Then we would do man school, which was where I would try and give him like the actual skills he needed to function in real life. And so sure. one night a week, we would consciously put stuff together. And then we'd do these big meta, like lifetime moments. Yeah. So yeah, the, com- the combination of those things over the course of years leads to a giant web of experiences and events and moments. Mm-hmm. Build, I think a pretty remarkable relationship. That's awesome. So last question here, what was the craziest part of that Camino hike? Oh, it, it was, you know, I mean, there was, there was two parts of it. You know, one of them is very vulnerable mm-hmm. and one of, them's, one of them is very painful. The painful part is I, um, I got these horrific blisters. When we hiked it, it was 110 degrees. Oh, my It was gosh. the hottest, you know, so which is oh, it's probably like 43 um, it was the hottest recorded temperatures in Spanish history. And we had to walk between 15 and 19 miles every day. I mean, it was just so hot. Just wild. But my, my skin was just melting off my feet. So I'd have to get up. At, we'd get up at 3.30 in the morning to sort of walk when it was dark and be there. And it would take me half an hour to like, I had this needle kit where I'd have to lance my foot full of blisters, drain them every day with the syringe. Um, I had holes in my foot down at the bone and I'd have to wrap them in this complicated mess of bandages and then wrap my whole feet in duct tape. And I had a Marine who served like in the Middle East and was like, dude, it was 140 in the desert. Duct is the only thing that lasts. So it was wild. I think I did 20 days of that, which had three weeks of doing that to my feet every day. And it took months after I got back from my feet to fully heal. Mm-hmm. That was the craziest thing. I think something that was like very, very interesting is when uh, at the end of this, so the, the Camino we did was at the end of a gap year and it was mm-hmm. a way to process Nate's gap year because a lot of times they don't do a decompression of the gap year and the kids just get disillusioned. A lot sure. of like reintegrate him and process it. We're coming into um, the, the main city. So you, you're hiking to get towards this uh, main city. The final 15 minutes, I had this animal rage come over me, just like hatred, 
anger, violence, pain, frustration. And I just was like, what is even happening to me? Mm. And, and it was very hard to make sense of. I was angry towards my son. I mean, I was like, what, what, is, what, what is happening? Right. And then I, so I was just trying to like get in touch with the emotions and I realized I'm not angry at my son. I'm angry that this never happened for me. Wow. Like I, I, I was coming to the end of the time with my son. Up next was this blessing ceremony. Yeah. You know, that there's one of the most profound moments of my life and, and my son's life. Mm-hmm. And I just had this like wound and anger, like, why didn't someone do this for me? Wow. And I guess I've never emotionally experienced some of those wounds of withholding in my life. And it all mm. came out in that moment. Wow. So it's like that, that, that made me go and go back and dig up some stuff in my own heart, man. Dude. That's amazing. Thanks so much for sharing that. I know that's yeah. those are the real, real stuff of being a human, being a man, but being a dad too. John, I just want to say thanks so much for just sitting down with us and just sharing your heart and and the wisdom that really God's put uh, in your life and walked you through. Uh, this has been such a great conversation. How how can our listeners stay in touch with you and get their copy of Intentional Father? Um, I, so, I mean, I don't have a web, I probably need a website or something at this point, but um, you can just follow me on um, Twitter and Instagram. It's just right. John Tyson, J-O-N-T-Y-S-O-N. Um, you can follow what we're doing in New York with our church. And that's at church.nyc. And you can pick the book up wherever you buy books. Um, nice. You know, um, Amazon. I don't know if there's any big retailers in Canada, but it's definitely at Amazon. It's so. everywhere. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, we'll make sure that we put all those links in our in our show notes. And and again, John, thanks so much for doing this. It's been a great conversation. No worries, mate. Really appreciate you uh, having me on the show. 